What's good, fam? Uh, Kyle here from the Value Adds Value podcast. want to welcome you to a special episode, um, one that we were not planning on recording, but it just kind of came on our radar, and, and we thought it was important that we um, share it right away. So our, our friend, Steph Edmonds, she has a podcast called Class Disruption, um, is a part of a group of teachers who are, they call themselves Teachers for Open Schools, and it's... It's super easy in this particular political climate we live in to just assume the worst about a group of teachers who are together to reopen schools, but it's really so much deeper and so much more nuanced. And this group of teachers have done a ton of research uh, on the many metrics that we should take into account when it comes to whether we can reopen our schools. And I'm sure everyone listening to this falls somewhere on the spectrum of how comfortable you feel about schools reopening safety-wise, how good you think it is for kids to be back, and, and all those different things. And this conversation by no means is meant to sway you one way or the other, but for us, we wanted to present ourselves with the information and evaluate where we're at in terms of our... Um, thoughts on reopening schools, how they should reopen, and all those different things. So we wanted to share this conversation with you, and we hope that it's an opportunity for us to, and you know, it sucks that we got to this right at the end, but to talk about how we're on the same team. And this group that Steph's a part of, Teachers for Open Schools, and is, is in no way advocating that we just blindly open every school back up and you know bring everybody back. That's not it. Um, they really are just out there to bring information to the forefront of, you know, what the research says and, and especially schools and districts that have been doing a great job with this. So we wanted to share this with you. We hope you'll take a listen and, and just evaluate where you're at on that continuum of schools being open to schools staying closed and know that we're all part of the same team. So we love you. We hope you enjoy this episode of Value Adds Value. Things that we've always wanted, um, you know, like to be like, this is like a really big way you could improve education is by like creating, like we call them collaborative learning or like a PNL or whatever, and um, and actually do it because it's not only going to solve this COVID issue, it's going to push us into that like future of education. Yeah. Hey, Will. Good morning. Good morning. What's going good morning. on? Sorry. Yeah, uh, we were in mid conversation. Hey, and I. I, I didn't I didn't want you to stop. I wanted to keep listening. I, I'm I'm digging it. I like what you say, the future of education, because we're truly living in a revolutionary time where we can actually finally shift this aircraft carrier of education, this big machine, and make it move in the right trajectory in order to really get Yo, you kids better save that line for the podcast. <clears throat> oh, I I I push I, I've learned my lesson to not push record right away. <laughs> So, I mean, we, yeah, and we can just, we can just let it go. Cause we'll, she and I were maybe just talking for like two minutes kind of about what my school year has been like. So Steph, what is, so you've been virtual all year. Um, no. So we, in New York city, we started hybrid, uh, at all grade levels. So we had about a two week delay. So, and then we started in that last week of September and we went to this hybrid model. And basically, if you chose to come into school, you could come into school. Uh, some places it was 
one day a week. Some places it was two days a week. I know, including at my school, we were getting some kids in there four days a week, you know, if they had really hard time accessing internet or they had, you know, just really needed that academic support. So it varied, you know, across the city, there's 1800 schools. Of course, it's going to vary as it should. Um, but we had something that was working. It wasn't the best system. There could, you know, especially as a teacher, it definitely puts a lot on you if you're in the building doing that hybrid. But we were finding a, a way to make it work. And we were at least able to support, it was about 30% of students across NYC who opted in. I'm sure some would have liked to be there more, but it was working. And we weren't, our, our, positivity rate, which is like the huge metric everybody's using, I would like to see it turn into more of like a dashboard of metrics. I don't think one metric is a good way, especially with something that is so dynamic um, to measure this, but our positivity rate was significantly lower. It was somewhere between like 0.25% and 0.5%. Whereas the city, you know, they shut us down at 3%. So when they shut us down, this, there's nothing spreading or not nothing. There was very little cases in the school. And of those, we weren't really seeing like secondary spread. They would quarantine people, but it wasn't spreading. Did So that was the metric they used. Did they, did they take data? Was it strictly data in the schools or was it within the city? Cause in. No. So ours is specifically in the schools. They had a, a testing regimen set up and that data was specifically in the schools differentiated from our general community transmission rate in the city. Okay, hold on, hold on. So, so y'all had students, students and staff were tested? Yeah, it, I mean, it wasn't universal testing, which I think they're, they are trying to implement now or it is required now, like you're, you're gonna get tested, but they were testing like a significant, a statistically significant portion of the population that should mirror the rest of the population. Um, but apparently a lot of our scientific methods that we've used for however many years now seem to not be like good enough for COVID standards. Um, it's like with, and that's just what I see across the board is I see like all this data coming in and people kind of like refusing to look at it or refusing to look at it within the history of how we've made public policy where you're not just looking at one metric or you know just looking at covid but you're looking at it within the full context right because closing schools doesn't come without a myriad of consequences see and that's 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 crazy to me and and even just talking with you on that that may if I knew that in, in our area, because I don't think that's happening anywhere, happening anywhere around the Twin Cities where I teach, and especially not in my school. Like my charter school doesn't have the economic capability right. to, to test everyone. But even just listening to you, because like Wilkenny and I have been talking about what you've been posting for like over a month and just saying like, you're the first, and maybe because it's, you're one of the first people that I trust that I know that if you're telling me this, that you've done your research, that I can trust that you're not just someone who's out there spouting stuff that's not factual because there is a ton of that. Like, No, for sure. Yeah. My, my charter school, like there is, and, and getting into it, you know, like we have a big problem with parents who are really adamant 
about going jumping from virtual to full like okay. every everybody in so that's really why we wanted to talk with you is to just kind of get an idea of of the research you've done and and what it means so i think the one thing i would statement a statement i would make for our listeners is if we knew we could do it as safely as possible i don't think there are very many teachers that wouldn't want to be back at school yeah i mean i will say i ultimately the goal is to get the kids fully back in the classroom I am in support of an incremental method if that's if that's a compromise that has to be made. But I will put up that I know many teachers who are back fully in the classroom with their kids. I spoke last week to a teacher in uh, British Columbia, Canada, in Vancouver, British Columbia, and he has been fully back with all 25 of his eighth graders. I think he said there's maybe like two kids who whose families chose to remain virtual, so they're like working with them. But basically, all his kids, he's been back in the classroom, and they do basic mitigation like wearing masks regular cleaning like you don't need to go super crazy on the cleaning but I mean I don't know I was I was cleaning pretty regularly before so like I'd have kids come in and wipe down my desk and things like so just making sure you're cleaning surfaces you don't have to go too crazy and then opening windows to get that ventilation Uh, I know a lot of people think you need some fancy big ventilation system but windows really are um across Europe, what they're using in Canada, what they're using as standard ventilation. Obviously, if rooms don't have windows, that's something that we would have to address. But I think that's more of an exception and in some places would be more of a problem than other places. I know in New York City, most of the buildings are made like, and they have the holes in the middle, like, you know, there's like a little courtyard in the middle. So like, even if you're on the inside, you have a window. Not all the buildings, we have so many buildings, but. yeah and i just guess uh the i like to hear that you guys have a date though that's that's awesome and that's definitely something i want to see for middle schools and high schools in new york city so so with i'm just trying to think of how i want to word you go well if you guys because i'm back you know i'm back with my students um i have my largest class is 24 um which again, I take it as a huge compliment. I mean, a, a huge excitement because last year I was sitting at 35, 36, you know, so to have a class of 24 is very manageable. Uh, regular, you know, like you said, we wear masks. Uh, I clean the desk after every single student leaves and comes back in. I know what students all day long have set in the desk, uh, in which desk in my classroom, you know, it makes group work a lot different, you know, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> But I've found so far that it's been working for me. And it's my joy. I mean, I hated virtual school, I'll be honest. Um, uh, I felt more like a um, like a telemarketer or, uh, or yes, a cold caller, yes. you know, because you got to keep calling all these houses and talking to people, even though they told you, look, I'm not, I'm, my kids doesn't have internet or look, we don't have a device, you know. And, like you, you, but you have to hear it every single day because that's the requirement when the kids are not logging in that you're contacting that parent and finding out uh, what's going on. So um, I'm, I'm thankful that we decided to come back. Now, I'm a little concerned that we have not in Harris County gone to stricter guidelines because our positivity rate had gone down to as low as five and five to nine percent. And right now, as a county, we're sitting at like 19 percent. Okay, wow. Which is crazy. It's the yeah. highest we've been. Um, 
but yet and still there's still not significant closures of other things like a scale back to how it was in the very beginning where it was smaller classes may be useful because we're getting like right now I'm gonna say on average the last couple of months three to four cases you know some students some students some teachers per like almost per week and so what is the, what are your provisions around? So say somebody is positive, what are the guidelines around? Okay, who has to quarantine, who doesn't? Cause I've seen some variation in that. And that's definitely one of the things that we're battling in New York city is like, we have these really strict quarantine rules that shut down schools, even if there is no spread. So what are you guys doing? <clears throat> well, I mean, really the people who are in immediate contact um, are, are, I can't even say, because I, I believe I've had students, I've not been told, I, I know HIPAA guidelines says you can't tell people's, you know, things and everything. So right. I've not been told, hey, such and such student had, you know, tested positive for COVID. Just I've a had, student. <clears throat> a student. Okay. And so, um, and the people who were, who they feel like may have been in jeopardy are notified because you have to list out the people you've been where you've been, what you've been in contact. And, and is that, is there like a rule specifically? I know in some places it's six feet, some places they shut down the whole room, some places it's three feet. Like it's, how it's like are they six sending? Feet. Six, like feet six feet for 15 minutes? Mm -hmm. Okay, so if I'm a teacher at the front of the room and it's very unlikely I'll ever have 15 consecutive minutes within six feet of a student, so it's unlikely that I'll get sent home. I think my, my, my school, I believe, calculated it as 15. They were using it as 15 total minutes. So if I were to circle back with a kid for three minutes, five times in a class, they would consider that 15 oh, minutes of close, okay. of close contact. And, and our school and our state is using this, um, this metric of cases per 10,000 people in our county. So And how many are they are they allowing? So we as long as every as long as our county was under 30 cases per 10,000 each week, middle school and high every everybody was advised to be full or to be hybrid. They said if it was under 30, elementary could come back full if they chose, but they didn't have to. Okay. From, from 30 cases to 50 cases per 10,000, it was advised that middle and high school went to virtual, but elementary could stay. So we had, we had that time between, you know, kind of right after, again, when Minnesota opened, like Wilkie said, Minnesota opened a lot of things back up there were points where our case rate was over a hundred per 10,000 mm -hmm. and that's for the County. So, yeah, but see, I just think that it's only, if you only use one metric like that, it's limiting. It's like, okay, well, where are the deaths happening? Because in a lot of places, uh, the deaths are happening in the long-term care facilities for older people. And so if you, that's obviously not going to be spreading to the community, right? But that's counted in like these metrics or in that community spread. But that doesn't really make any sense because that in no way threatens the general public, especially our kids who are going to school. So I'd like to see some more differentiation, some more specific data points. Also, like how is our hospital capacity? How is, what is the spread in school versus the community? Maybe the community is surging, but if, and so 
um, I know you said you don't have a specific system for your school, but even if they were to collect that data, because it does seem like they're getting some data in at least, right, from people self-testing, they can create a real easy dashboard and just put that up online and, you know, however often 48 hours or, you know, every 24 hours update it very easily. And that's a super simple program. And I can even connect them with some people that could help them set that up. Well, and what you just said there, Steph, begs the question for me is what would it take for us to get more robust data sets? And, and why isn't that something that schools and districts are doing? I mean, if the data is out there, is it just a monetary thing or a time thing that we just don't have the time or money to put towards that? I mean, from what I've seen historically in education, time nor money seem to be the issue. It seems to be more of what we care to do or feel like we have to do. And this is what goes back to where I'd really like to see more of that teacher power come into play. Instead of just being like, well, we don't trust you or just like hiding behind our fear, which I understand the fears, but we start just like we like to leave our implicit biases of our kids outside the classroom. And if we're going to be judging them, we have some you know, standards-based criteria. That's not to say, obviously, we use our compassion and our empathy, of course, when we deal with our students. But if we really want to get a fair judgment, we kind of leave those things aside and we do it based on the rubric and the data. And so I want to see teachers be like, okay, the data's out there. Let's stand up and say, listen, we want to go back. And this is what you're going to do. This is what we're going to do. Instead of just kind of sitting back and being like, oh, well, admin is doing it. This and that. Like, I know we, you want to keep your job and you don't want to certainly shake the pot, but at some point you're actually only creating value for yourself. And that's, I, I feel like teachers need to see it as me going in and stating, this is what I need. This is, this is, we need a dashboard. If we're going to create a hybrid system, this is how it's going to work best because you know, I've been doing the virtual teaching and if you have a few people doing it and you have a solid plan, it doesn't come in looking like you're this whiny teacher or your it creates value for the whole system uh, value adds value right yeah that's <laughs> that's awesome and i was wondering about in minnesota because i know in a lot of places it seems to be a combination of just like weak leadership and also this kind of this union force it's been shown that places with unions are less likely to go back than places without them. And so in Minnesota, you said, or is it in Minnesota or is it just because you're at a charter school, you don't have a union? So, so I can speak a little bit to that. And then Will, you can speak yeah. to that too. Um, I taught seven years in Houston, was never represented by a union. They, to my, Am I right, Will, in saying that they don't really have a teacher's union like you would say? We have a they have a teacher's federation, um, but uh, I mean, again, it's it's like it's op you you have the option to join and or not, but it's not really. Do they negotiate? They don't negotiate contracts. Probably it's probably just for like insurance and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, Minnesota is a state where there is a teachers union, and Wisconsin is not. So if you look at the state mm -hmm. of Wisconsin, there are going to be, to my understanding, there are a lot more schools that are hybrid to full open in Wisconsin than there are in Minnesota. But for me. I, I, I don't have union representation at a charter school. I could be fired tomorrow because they don't like my eye color. 
So I know that is in my particular building, I think that very much is a concern as to why people necessarily don't want to ruffle feathers too much mm. because you could be like, I mean, you could be let go. I do know that people I've talked to who are represented by unions in the state of Minnesota, there, a lot of them are like, you know, yeah, we, we like it because they, and they don't say they like it because they're protected from having to go back. They like it because a friend said, when we have a question for our principal, the union makes sure we get that question answered before something changes. So, so I, I understand that point of it, but it seems like to me what you're saying is the unions in New York are a whole different animal. Um, I mean, it, I was never asked like by my union if I wanted to go back or not. They had sent out a survey at the end of the school year, like beginning of the summer. And it was a one to four scale between like not safe to very safe or something for different mitigations like should there be universal masking should be there testing like what do you need to go back but never a straight up like as a teacher do you feel comfortable going back um they did offer medical accommodations and teachers for open schools is fully in support of that if you're an older teacher or if you're a teacher with a long-standing health issue we want to protect you we, you know, a lot of times I'm online, people are like, you want me to die? I have this issue. And I'm like, I'm like, no, we want to protect you. And we, and we want to, to fight to make sure teachers have a voice in this reopening. This isn't just like a, teachers should go back in their classroom kind of thing. Um, but I think it's interesting that you said Wisconsin next to you. And I think this is more to my point than maybe comparing it to New York City is not unionized and they're mostly hybrid or or fully back versus your state which is kind of the opposite and it's more unionized so i feel like charter and like the charter schools in new york city are able to do this kind of just like go with the status quo of what's going on around them um and not have to even though they possibly could you know make their own decision not have to take that chance i guess so I think it's difficult, like for a teacher in your position, like you said, you don't necessarily have the safety net of the union to say anything, even though at the same time, you don't necessarily have the union preventing you specifically from going back or speaking for you to stay home. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because this is like, in all of my years, I mean, I've been here, I've been teaching for the last 14 years. The last two years, I've heard more people inquire about the unions here uh in 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 houston um you know to me like are you do you have a union representative what you, you know are you part of the union and i'm like no i've never have been and when <clears throat> i think me and college started talking about it in the midst of all of this you know looking at some of your posts like we don't have and i guess because it's kind of i mean i am pretty pleased with how our district kind of we do have a dashboard that tells us the cases okay. per schools um tells you how many student cases, how many teacher cases uh, per school is updated as the data come in. Our, our, our superintendent turned most of our schools into testing sites. So they have a mobile testing unit to, that'll come out. You just set an appointment, you, you can be at work, you can get tested, get your results and know right then and there, do you need to leave, you know? So they Okay, nice, that's good. That's Our that's... protocols, I think we're, because we 
we started to grow so fast with the number with the number of cases here in in the you know Houston area. When we, we did go back, we've been back since after Labor Day. Okay. We came back after Labor Day. Um, again, it was a kind of a slow rollout. Uh, that Labor Day kind of marked our second term. So when we came back that second term, I got my virtual kids that I had, <clears throat> those that had opted to go back to class face-to-face came back. So my largest class name was about 11. So are you currently teaching kids in your classroom and remote at the same time? I have some kids who are remote who parents opted in and they may come for a little bit and then they have that kind of flexibility because everything I do, I put online. Okay. So, um, you know, so that they can have access to it from home, you know, from making the videos and putting them on there for them to be able to watch. So technically they, do, they wouldn't have to come if they did everything in there. And I, I feel that they did it with integrity. And that's the thing that we talk about with the whole virtual learning, <clears throat> that lack of integrity of the learning, you don't really know if it's taking place. Mm. Um, you know, and like I say, face to face, I can look in your eyes and see it. And so like I, said, I went from 11 to where I'm now, like my largest class is 24, as I said. And it's like I say, I, I love it. I. <laughs> It's, you know, like I say, it's, it's to me where I believe kids, kids get that kind of, that it's more than just academic, it's socialization. Yeah. And it's the ability to mix with people who, that, that, that was a huge thing. And you could tell it even when our kids came back from being out of school from March until September, that that time for them being out of school, that's, that's like two, three summers you know, almost that they that they were out of school. So it's like, you could tell that now my sixth graders are just becoming sixth graders. You know what I mean? With those like sixth grade, now I see the sixth grade socialization where this is what I should have seen in, in, in August or September when they came back after summer because they would have had that consistent interaction with people to kind of grow and to keep going. And that developmental cycle is, is important. And that, you know, so, I, I, you know, I, I love what you guys are doing. I, I can say when I started following, looking at you, looking at what you were doing, I was just like, yeah. But then on my end, I also kind of look at it and say, even though we're doing a lot that's good, there's still things that we can do that's better. And I think, as you said, that teacher voice is so important because I, I say we, there's a lot of decisions that's being made and teachers are being considered, but they're not being heard. Right. So what is some things, it sounds like you have it pretty good. You have a nice system going on. You're getting that in-person learning vibes going. Mm-hmm. So what are some things that you would make? You have the power. What are you doing to improve that situation and push us into that future of education? You know, I think it starts with teaching students and teachers how to be adaptable. You know what I mean? And we, t- we want people to be adaptable, but the system that we're in is stagnant. That doesn't make sense. It's like me telling all the fish in the water in the pond to grow to your maximal size, but I'm gonna keep the same amount of water, the same amount of resources and everything else. I'm gonna stay the same as a machine, as an organism, but you keep growing, I'll die. 
And I think that's what education is doing. And if we're going to shift it to where we're supposed to be, to where parents love sending their kids to school, where their kids love coming to school. I, I love the hybrid model. I do. I think we've seen some things that I believe where you can go three to four days a week in, in class, face-to-face -face instruction, and have kids do some virtual learning. To, uh, to I think that responsibility and that kind of giving kids that, giving schools opportunity to, to flush out and clean out completely weekly. I think there are some things that we could do now that we couldn't do before. Uh, and we're gonna say again, we've worked out through the kinks. We've worked the bugs out of, of most of these programs that said they were virtual learning tools. We know how, they're, how they work now and they've made adjustments. So let's keep riding that and let's really change school to mirror what the workplace looks like. Think about the number of people now who are, who are forced to work from home who have to learn how to build their time out throughout the day, but we don't teach kids that. We give them their schedule. Yeah, I was thinking that, I was just thinking that the other day. I was like, why, if I was to have a school, I would like let the kids choose their classes. Obviously they only have so many choices and in the end, they're probably all gonna end up taking, you know, a core set of classes that you want them to take. But if they just had the ownership mm -hmm. of having to choose them, you, you know, mm -hmm. Even if it was like you had, you have to choose seven out of nine of the things or something, you know? But um, I think that that when you, you when you talk about voice, and that's one of the things my kids, where my kids are starting a podcast in my classroom oh, and nice. they're interviewing me. So they were, we were practicing yesterday. And so one of the questions they asked me is, why did I want to start a class podcast? And I told them, I say, because I believe that it's important for you all to have a voice. And I, I know that I get the value of your voice just in my conversation with you for 90 minutes. Why would I not want to share your voice with the rest of the world? Because there are other people who connect with the things that you're saying. You have discussions in here that adults need to hear and model the way you discuss it. You know, and so um, I, I think that it's, it's important that we continue to give voice. And the biggest way to give voice is to give choice. I know it sounds cliche, but... You know, my dad used to always say, you can't have someone teach someone to be responsible without giving them something to be responsible for. Mm, and, I, and go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go, Steph. I'll come I back. was just going to say that, and the way that I see the incentive structures work is it's all like, you have to hit this number and we need, you know, this many seats and bodies and you need to get this credit and do this. And I'm not saying, I think that obviously if you're going to have a system that acts in perpetuity and can be... Um, repeated over and over again, you need to have some structure. So I'm not here advocating for like, let's just like have this Montessori thing. And, and no offense <laughs> to Montessori schools, those are super good, like, you know, but that's not something you can do on a massive scale, right? You're going to have to have some structure, you're going to have to have some credits, something. But I think that we've gone too far in that direction. And we need to give teachers more choice and more voice. I think, you know, and that's where one thing, and I'm super grateful in my school, I mean, we, we still have so many of these systematic issues that I would love to be gone but I do feel like my administration at least gives me the space the little space that we do have to really do things a little bit differently um and and I feel empowered in that way and I I want to see that for so many more teachers and I think that this moment as we're transitioning back into the classrooms but I think we have to be willing to transition back in the classrooms I think we have to be that reasonable but we can't just like sit back once we get in there. Well, and, and what I was gonna say to, you know, a couple of points, first on the ownership piece, 
I felt like, and Wilkie and I have been talking about this for a while, about how many checklist kids we have. That they just go to school to check a list, to check a box. They are not, they don't have any ownership really of their education um, other than trying to just get get what they need to get so they can go to the next grade. And I felt like in virtual, it has gone farther that way. I feel like, you know, like Will said, how often you have to call parents if kids don't show up and I'm supposed to track whether kids watch my videos and I'm supposed to track whether kids come to my, to my, all this stuff. And I'm like, if a kid shows up, a kid shows up. It like, it's no sweat off my back. If they don't do the work, then eventually if it's like two or three assignments, yeah, then I'll call and be like, Hey, you know, what's going on? But I feel like they have put more ownership on the teachers of the kids than I had before. I feel right. like I'm doing more micromanaging than I ever have been. And that's part of why I think I would want to go back into the classroom um, because I'm doing everything except the really fun parts of school. Mm, mm. <laughs> it's, it's so compliance based, right? Yeah. And I'm trying to get away from that myself. Obviously I'm still making my, I do find that cause I'm, my kids are a little bit older. So I talk directly to the kids and I do find like, if I call the kids like the next few days, they're like pretty, you know, then they fall off and we got to kind of do it again. Um, and I know like, you know, we said integrity or just like holding them accountable and stuff, but a big part of my class when they turn on their their speaker to talk to me there's noise going on in the background they got their little brother and sister they got their cousin their niece their nephew you know mom and dad are trying to work i was at my co-workers the other day and she has a niece there i was working from her house so both of us were teaching she's her niece is trying to learn but of course like her niece is getting up every two seconds and then i like forget i'm like hey da, 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 da. and then i'm like oh wait you're supposed to be in class you know so it's it can be a lot if you have if you have things going on in, in the house and so many of my kids do well and and the other part when you ask the question of what you would want to see when we go back to move it forward i told my admin like if we go back to this hybrid and you tell us it's because of the SEL needs of our kids, then you, you better damn well put a huge emphasis on SEL and it better be, be more than a generic 20 minutes once a day. Like I said that in a meeting with my boss in it and she was like, yep. Cause I, and I think one of the overarching problems that I have in this situation is how many people have said, and, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't mean real teachers are not saying this, but the overarching political spectrum is we need to get kids back in schools because they're so far behind, or we need to get kids back in schools because we're not meeting their SEL needs. And it's like, it struck me when you said like, what are we going to do to make school better out the backside of this? And those are things that need real discussion. We need real discussion on how much are we teaching kids and why. And yeah, my worry is just holding our kids hostage until we feel satisfied with that discussion, right? I feel like we, we have to get the kids back in the building to really be having that discussion. Otherwise we are literally holding our kids hostage for at least just the basics. Like, yeah, we can say we need SEL, but there is something social and emotional 
about just having that structure in your day, right? Mm -hmm. So, so yes, I, I don't want it to just be like this empty language about like social emotional learning, but I do think that those are valid points. Like we, the kids just need to go back and then, but we can't stop there, right? We need to use that energy, use all that energy. You're fighting to stay home because it's not good enough to fight once you get back to make it better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's one thing I felt like, and, and I do want to acknowledge that the job of a school administrator or a school board is so difficult right now to balance everything and to, to satisfy the needs of everyone. And, and like you said, nobody here is, <laughs> and no real teacher that I've talked to or we've met or that we know is saying that if you're 37 and you have had cancer once or, or what, whatever it is, that we're gonna force those people into a situation where it's unsafe. Right, and, and and let's be resilient. Instead of saying, oh, our kids are resilient, let us be the resilient ones. Let the system be the resilient ones. Let it be so flexible and dynamic that I can say, okay, no problem, right? We're gonna protect this teacher. We're gonna make it so that they work at home and we're gonna make sure that these kids have the, in, the highest quality in-person experience. So whether that means that that teacher is paired with virtual only students or whether that means that you have um, some aides or another teacher in their co-teacher in the classroom working with the students and that one zooming in. Um, but we have to figure out a way to make our system more, our system more resilient and not just with the, oh, our kids are resilient. Like they're learning so much this year. Like, okay, that's great. But if they can't read and write, it doesn't mean anything for the longevity of their life. Yeah. You know what? And that's one thing that coming back to what you said earlier about feeling like you had input, like, I think had my school not waited until the 11th hour to drop the plan on us and I could have prepared myself and understood exactly what they were doing, I think to start the year, I would have been way more willing to be in hybrid. But when, when you drop, when you drop it on us like that, and then the opportunity came for me to be the distance teacher, I took it and it was really and, and looking back, even just talking with you, like I, I didn't have probably enough information to really make that choice in, in a logical way. It was almost entirely an emotional choice. The emotion of I've got a wedding that's still on track in two months. And the last thing I want to do is get COVID right before the wedding. Like I had, when we were going to go back to hybrid, everybody hybrid, I had told my boss, like, is there a way we can work that I can, teach virtually for the two weeks before my wedding to ensure that I wouldn't be around anyone. And she was like, yeah, we'll make that work for you to make sure that your wedding happens. And then the next day she came back and said, Hey, we're going to do this thing where we need a virtual teacher. Do you want to just do that? And I was like, sure. Yeah, I'll take that. You know, it, it just seemed like a logical. Well, I, I appreciate that though, in terms of a school. And, and I really appreciate, first of all, your, 100% transparency on that situation and your whole thought process. But I think that your school, you only asked for two weeks, you know, that, so I think that's kind of actually a reasonable stance to take. And then your school was like, yeah, we're, we're going to 
help you out because we value you as our employee and we know you're an awesome teacher. So I think that they need to take that and just like go, go with it. Right. And use that across all their decision-making let's get input from the teachers. And I think as teachers, you know, we said, we don't have a union, but maybe it is on us teachers to form a stronger culture just within our own staff. Mm -hmm. right within our own building we all have a responsibility for that so if we can get more of a cohesion and that's you know i guess it should be like on the admin they want their teachers together but ultimately it should be on us just as much so maybe that's something that we really need to work on when we get back into the building is just building a stronger cohesion between our own teacher networks in our building so that we go ahead go ahead no i was gonna say it's difficult now to do that like I'm in the building and because of COVID and the restrictions and me not even wanting to be around people, I don't, I very rarely go to the other side of my, my, even my pod, let alone the seventh grade wing or the eighth grade wing. You know, it's like, I'm in my classroom. I go check my mailbox. I pick my kids up from the cafeteria. I'm back in my classroom. I go to the restroom. I'm out the door. Like that is, it has become so worker ant because of all the restrictions. You know what I mean? Like it, it is just, it is, and it's not gonna say, yeah, it, it's, it's, I'm with, I think we do need that from teachers, but it's hard to do that. We saw that with students virtually, you know, and so trying to do that with a group of teachers virtually, I mean, we tried the whole meetup. Uh oh. Yeah. Hopefully he'll come back. I didn't know if um, it was me. It's usually me. No, it, it's. Oh, hey. Oh, what happened? We was I froze. Yeah, yeah you, you were talking you said about. Said it's hard to do meetups. Right, and so the teachers, like with us, we don't even um. Like we don't even venture out to go see each other. That's a good point. You know, and and it's scary because it's like you. I, I hate working in this type of environment, uh, to be honest, but for the kids, I'll make that sacrifice, you know, cause I am a collaborative teacher. I am a teacher who likes to sit there and gets my hands dirty while I'm working and doing things. You know, Kyle and I always talk about how teaching is a craft. And when you think about things that are, that are made by craftsmen, those are the ones that are, that are intricate. They give you every little detail. And I think that that it's harder to do that that craftsmanship now because it, it's like the COVID restrictions almost like gloves. You know, most master craftsmen, if you're working with wood, most most good carpenters I know don't even wear gloves. They right. built up this endurance in their hands where they just they can just do it and they know how to do it. And I think that's what teachers are. And those restrictions, it's kind of it put gloves on it, so we have to adapt. You know, I love the way Principal Ross said that our kids are not failing; they're adapting, they're evolving. And, and because, you know, everybody's saying kids are failing, kids are behind, but kids have been failing. Kids have been behind. Yeah, but my question is, is it on the kids? I think it should be on us. You know what I mean? The kids are behind the kids, but but that's on us. So mm-hmm. 
if if we're saying that, well, it's not possible for us to, you know, get together in a group and and put pressure on our admin and really have our voices heard. So we just should remain virtual because it's not going to be safe and it's not going to be worth it. We're then shifting all of the all of it back on the kids. And we're saying, well, the kids, you know, they're they're learning, they're adverse. No, us teachers, if if it's on us to overcome that obstacle if we expect our kids to do it. So, okay, we're in the building. Yeah, we're all separated. You know, virtual isn't the best. Maybe we do a outside meeting, right? Outside, listen, outside is safe. You, you know, like you can gather with, with people, spread it out, or maybe just do it by grade teams and one person reports back or, you know, do small meetings outside together and then bring it back to virtual. You know, I'm not saying these are the answers. I'm just putting ideas out there. I just And they're want... great too. They're, they're great. Like I'm, I'm picking them up and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I can see that happening. And I can see that becoming a very powerful tool. Um, because again, that, that is, I, I share with my mentee. I have a mentee first year teacher and I say, man, I apologize because this is like the worst year to become a first year teacher. I say, but it's the best year because the things you're going to learn this year are going to make you a, a rock star next year, you know? And so he kind of laughed and chuckled because he's hybrid. Like we okay. still have some teachers who are, you know, he has half his class on a virtual and he has one class that's in, in that's face to face. Uh, and we still have teachers like that throughout each department. Um, but I think it's like I say that teacher voice, that collective teacher voice, is what's going to take to move education. Like right. we have to have, you have to be able to sit down and have conversations with teachers who don't agree with you, teachers who agree with you, teachers who are indifferent, and be able to come to a common ground that kind of makes everybody feel like my gap's been filled enough at this point. Now let's move forward to the next one, and eventually I know that as we keep filling. I'll get all of this done because the goal is to listen to everybody. And I think that if, if now COVID has forced education, it's forcing education now to really start listening to the boots on the ground. But do, what do we want to talk about is my question. Do we want to talk about how scared we are, how disrespected we are, how nobody's ever cared about us? Or are we going to take that energy and are we going to flip it on them? Because that's what I want to see. Because if we do the former, then the status quo can persist. Right. It's like you're living up to the expectation. Oh, teachers always complain about this instead of saying, no, teachers, we're the, we're the wheelhouse for every single thing. Right. You can complain that you don't have power and then not do anything to capitalize on the moment where, where, okay, this is where the teacher voice can shine. Instead, we're using all that energy just to be like, well, nobody cares about us. We're unsafe. And I do want to say, like, I know we've been saying, like, schools are safe. There is a ton of data out there. We have so many articles linked up on our website, teachers for the number four. It says the word for, but it's teachers for openschools.com. Um, on our account, we're always tweeting things out on our YouTube channel. We posted a week ago or a week and a half ago a conversation with Emily Oster and Jay Bhattacharya, which are two big professors, PhDs. One is actually like a, a, a 
MD, PhD MD doctor in Stanford, and they give a presentation about 10 minutes long on the wealth of data from around the world show, showing that schools are safe. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm not just out here saying schools are safe because like I think they're safe or I feel they're safe. Like there's a wealth of data and research out there that I, I really need for teachers to get out from behind, you know, their social media posts, get out. I turned on the TV yesterday and they, it's fear porn like turn off the tv open up some journals and and let's do the due diligence to our high professional status that that we have and but you know it oh go for but it but on, on that note it, it it's par for the course for education and educators because the gap between what the data suggests even on learning and what actually is taking place in the classroom that gap is so huge you know, we're not looking at like the fact that we can get brain research now and, and talk about what the brain is doing and functioning like at the exact moments of learning and transmit that into how teachers present lessons for learning. You know, I think Dr. Joe Bowler studies at Stanford and she studies how the brain reacts to learning. That data, we it's like we're almost fearful of using the real data we just want to use these little small matrix to say, to make us look good and not the matrix that's going to make us great, truly mm. great. And I, I, I do on that point to want to ask and how, how much, and maybe this is something you couldn't quantify, but how much of the pushback or even people's point of view, is, do you feel like is politically motivated or societally motivated? Because if you're saying that you just saying open, you know, teachers for open schools, and you're already getting messages from teachers that are assuming the worst about you. I mean, because, you know, here, Wisconsin and Minnesota are both states that went Democratic in the last election. But it's almost entirely because there are, are the majority of the population is in a few metropolitan centers yeah the majority of the rest of the state is conservative so i'm just wondering how much of it is politically charged do you think because i mean new york is kind of the epicenter of what people want to point to when it comes to to covid it was the first place it really got bad and then it got good and andrew yeah, I, I think was it's the devil and andrew was <laughs> not the devil and um I can neither confirm nor deny that he is the devil. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but the, yeah, I think that it's super political. The whole thing is super political and you can mm -hmm. almost, this is starting to change. I mean, New York City is like a, the liberal bastion, um, I mean, of the big cities. And uh, you can see a lot of the parents starting to say like, starting to kind of like break away and be like this, you know, we're, we're, we've been democratic, Democrats our whole life, but we can't go along with this. Like you're putting us in this weird position because we are pro-union um, and you're making us really question your actions. I mean, if you look at Randy Weingarten and who's the other one with the P, oh, I forget his name. The the leaders of AFT and, and UFT and, yeah. yeah they're gallivanting around for the Democratic Party and like they where are they on these open schools like that I'm sorry but that's gross 
that they're like going out there and like gallivanting around with all these like top democratic people and it's not because i'm like against democrats or like i'm i'm against both democrats and republicans that's my bias um and but i think it's it's making this whole thing super political and then you know uh, a teacher last week on our conversation that's what she mentioned oh biden's coming in with his hundred days and they you know they're gonna shut everything down again so yeah it is it it's taken something that should not be political like we should all be able to look at a set of data and say you know what it's the best thing for our kids to be back in school and we should get them back in school instead of holding them hostage for in New York City, what it seems they came out with the title, New York City pushing to fully reopen in the fall. And then it talks about how we need to get money for our budget, this and that. Like, no, we can send our kids back to school right now. Don't hold them hostage for some budget that was already messed up pre-COVID. You know, this is not on our kids. You know, what's funny is like, I know like with my daughter's school, like she's, my daughter's in high school. And when the high school first started rolling out, they rolled out first in our district uh, with the high schoolers. And they went back um, on an A-day, B-day schedule. So you had kids in a building on Mondays and Wednesdays, kids on buildings on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and Fridays were all virtual. So they started with freshmen and sophomores. And then once they got that system going and, and everything going, they just went to juniors and seniors and roll them in. And even though they're still functioning kind of probably about as all of us kind of like, I don't even think we're 50, we're maybe like 35, 40% capacity right now um, across our whole school. And so um, it's uh, like I say, you, there are things that we can do. Wiping down the desk after every after everything, you know, contact tracing, you know, making sure kids sit in the same seat every day, you know, uh, make sure you're not sharing markers and things like that. We sanitize them coming in and going out. I do uh, want to say that the fomites, which is like the transfer of viruses on a surface, is like n not really a thing. So like I just I would rather see the emphasis be on like social distancing and and good transparent data. I'm not saying don't wipe things down. I just I I I don't want teachers to like be neurotic about having to wipe every single thing down either. Yeah. yeah, I don't wipe down everything, but I mean, I was the teacher that because I know kids and I know what they do with their bodies. Kids are gross. Kids, let's just say it out of these. Kids are gross. <laughs> yeah, but we don't want to overclean too because yeah. we are risking at the same time. It's like our immune systems need to be resilient. So if they're not getting any germs, then we are actually making ourselves more susceptible. And the way that that COVID works by like taking over other systems, like that. I feel like you know, like again, we have to have balance here in in how we're doing things so i just wanted to like you know i know you're talking about wiping down i just wanted to don't want teachers to get like super caught up on that like clean yes clean like normal amounts, that was, but... and i'll be honest with you pre-covid i cleaned my desk I, teachers would walk in my room every day like why are your desk so white and call it my daddy coming out in me where he couldn't stand to see I, I can't walk around and just look at desk and not not clean them. That's just, okay, nice. So that's just me. So, uh, but our district did put in place that because of the fact of contact tracing and want to make sure that they know that we were that is our protocol. Okay. That we're cleaning the desk after we, they gave they give us the disinfectant, we clean down the desk and wipe them down. Uh, Good as before. they should. Well, and and I know just from. You know, the area I live in is pretty liberal. 
like Minneapolis, St. Paul is the most liberal part of the state of Minnesota, the same as Milwaukee and Madison would be in Wisconsin. And when you have rural states like that, like that, that's the way it's going to be. And I know, and, and even me, I have to, to fight my political bias. Cause I know there are people who are liberal that without any real research said we shouldn't um, open up schools because Trump said we should. And there are conservatives that said that have and on both sides, and this is not a political judgment. Right, because party. Trump said it, we need to get the schools open yeah. no matter what. And, yeah. And, and what really struck me is what you said about this shouldn't be a political issue. The same way I feel like COVID shouldn't be a political issue. Like it should just be, this is what we should do. This is, this is how it should be. So I, I guess a question I want to ask you as a follow-up, now that you've been doing this and you've been having conversations with people, I guess maybe I'm making an assumption that it can get heated with people. And I'm wondering how you, how you keep the temperature down. Cause this is something Wilkie's been talking about all year is how do we bring the temperature down when we're having conversations? So how, how are you and, and, and your crew working on staying calm when, you know, teachers as people were prone to getting spun up over things that aren't necessarily the important thing. So I think first of all is just to, if, especially if you have relationships with people, like people I have relationships with, I, I really just try to draw on that. So first of all, when there's strangers on the internet, you know, sometimes you have to choose like not to respond because it's, there's no point. And then other times you just make sure that you're leading with facts and data and just reassuring them that you want the best things for the kids just like them. Um, so there's that. And then the other thing that I'm hearing over and over again from people and parents, teachers and parents is I'm scared. I'm scared to say anything like I'm with you. I thank you for what you're doing, but I don't want to lose my job. Um, I, or, or I, you know, I don't want any more of my friends to tell me that I'm trying to kill them. So I think that more than the hate or the, the people who you're just are just going to come at you, it's the people who aren't saying anything that I'm thinking about the most, the people who are scared to say anything. And in the one hand, it's like, I get it. On the other hand, it's like, I don't because like I'm out here doing it. And it's not like I don't have those fears. It's not like I don't go through those moments where I'm like, can you please remind me why I'm doing this? Um, <laughs> but it's it's the right thing to do at the end of the day. So I, I, I and, it, and it gives me more motivation when I know that I'm speaking for so many teachers and parents who feel like they can't speak, that just gives me more motivation um, to, to keep fighting and, and to not make this political. Like I, I will not make this political. This is not, um, this is about the data, the facts and our kids. Yeah. I mean, and, and we appreciate that work. I mean, cause it's, it's so hard right now because we do to some degree live in a world where facts and data don't necessarily matter. And it, 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 our world is so politically but it's on us like that's why we became teachers we became teachers because we want our kids to be able to look at things objectively mm -hmm. so it's it's time to get out from behind our fear give us a little where am i what's going on <laughs> look at that data come on teachers i believe in you 
And you know, and it's funny because if you think about educators in, in, in general, when we came into it, we came into it with this idea that us reaching one kid would change the world. Like that, that's what we can, I know like, it's like that ability to say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm putting something together that's gonna go out and do something great. And it was just that idea of one. And so it's like, if you have that, that collective mind to say, that's what I wanna do, then that was, do the exact same thing right now. You know, I believe in speaking your truth. We were, we, uh, we were in a, uh, talking with, in a session with uh, Hamish Brewer. Um, and he said that I would rather, I'd rather down the sword of my words than, 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 than to say something that, that's not uniquely me and not stand behind it. And, and, and I, when I heard that, I said, you know what? Right or wrong, true or false, I have to speak the truth that, that's there. And I'm an analytic, like I love, I look at the, I'm like you, show me the data. And don't give me this little, this little cookie cutter data that, that just kind of shows one in. Show me everything. Let me make a, a well-educated decision on all of the information, not just a little piece of it. And I think a lot of times that's where the politics come in, is what little piece do we want to play to spin it to our favor? Which 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 soundbite do you want to parrot to say this is why I believe what I believe? Right. And and you know, thinking about what you said, Steph. Of I just want to go out, and I was thinking about this before we started talking. Even like, just start to remind people, like, hey, we're on the same team. <laughs> we're on the same team, and I think for me also too, when it comes to my school, because I know that there is a lot of fear in my school. But if, if I can do before, before I potentially go back, if I can start to just listen to my colleagues and let them have a space where they can talk about what they fear so we can have an open dialogue about where everyone's at, because I would venture, and it's hard for me to say because I hadn't thought of this, I bet there are more teachers than lead on that would prefer to go back and, and teach. Because I'll be honest I, with you, even for me, it was fun in the beginning, extended spring break. We're like, yeah. yeah, you know, but then like, as you got deeper into April, it's like, hold on, time out. <laughs> There's nothing normal about me sitting at home at 11 o'clock on, on a Wednesday. Yeah. You know, there's nothing normal about that in May. There, you know, June and July didn't even feel like June, July and August because March, April and May didn't feel like it normally did. So yeah, I believe a lot more deep down inside want to be back in the classroom than who are saying it. And if you do, just say it. You know, don't don't worry about what other people think. I mean, I, I know that everybody has a difference of opinion, but at the same time, if you're making decisions on what's in the best interest of our kids, you know, I watch my sister, who's an assistant principal. She has two toddlers, you know, a, a pre-K and a kindergartner. And right now she's having to work virtually can you imagine what that looks like? Two different classes with two toddlers and sitting and trying to do a Zoom call with, with, your, with your team and your staff. You know what I mean? So it's like, I know people would rather say, 
help us. Let's figure out what's going to be the best case scenario for us to go back. Let's let's put a plan in place. Let's all agree to it. Let's do it, and let's go. Let's go teach and and, and show our kids how how whenever you're met with something, this is how you overcome it. That I mean and. You know, for me, and and even just having this conversation, because we've really, at the middle school level, just started to have the reintroduction of hybrid conversations this week. And I was thinking to myself, like, what happens if we bring them back hybrid and there's an outbreak and then we have to flip them back to virtual? Isn't that the worst case scenario? But then I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't remember which book I was reading and Will, maybe you can help me, but there's a lot of research out there of how humans steer towards avoiding a loss versus gaining a win. There's tons of data out there about how our brains work that we would tend to always steer away from what we could lose versus what we could gain. Mm -hmm. Even, even, you know, they reference like you have, if you have a hundred thousand dollars and you bet 50,000 of it, you have a 70% chance of doubling it and a 30% chance of losing it. Even though you're more likely to double your money, you won't take the bet because you're too afraid to lose it. And and even me, I was saying those same things about how, well, we should just be ready and we should just wait and be ready to start back in the fall. But I, I think the thing that strikes me with what you said too is if we figured out how to make this virtual work, we could figure out how to make hybrid work again. Like if there's someone on my team that doesn't want to come back to hybrid and wants to teach from home, like we can find a way that during my schedule me. So that way, when I don't teach my classes, she can teach hers and I will be in a classroom with kids and just monitor to make sure the kids are doing what they're supposed to in person. Right. We can do this. You know, if it takes an assistant principal or a principal, like we, and, and I think that's another thing too, was I've always seen like a, a huge rigidity in like, oh, I teach this subject or I do this or I do that. And I, and again, I think that that is something that us as teachers, we need to be more, more flexible on because, and again, so much of it is about teaching writing across the curriculum or teaching these skills across the curriculum. So even if it does mean filling in in a class where you're not like trained in the content, there's so much you have to bring and we need to not undercut ourselves in that way because we just give ourselves more value 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 adds value you could hire me i love to have you do that <laughs> but i want i, I, I want to ask kind of a, a out to to both of us or to all of us so let's say hypothetically it's two years down the road and we've learned all of the greatest lessons from this time period that we are currently in, what does education look like and how is it starting to change? Because ultimately that's what you you have both been talking about is can we take this time that has torn open exactly what schools are like and make them better? So what do you think it looks like two years or five years down the road if, and I know this is a huge if. So the optimist in me. The optimist in you, we have learned our lessons and we're starting to change. What does that look like? What are what are some of the main things that you think are improving based on this time that we're in? So I think that it's it goes back to what we were talking about is choice. And I don't want to be confused with like the 
charter school school choice like I know you teach at a charter school and I'm, I'm this is not against it but I don't want my this notion of choice to just automatically get all put into that basket right I just want to see more options and we do have somewhat of this in New York City like you can apply to your middle school you can apply to your to your high school um, I think some of those are kind of like faux choices um, rather than like actual real choices um, but even just within the schools, how we're talking about, I want to see students being able to like choose their course selection. I want to see, um, I would like to see teacher training programs uh, in colleges change, being like, you know, especially because everything is so much more technology based now. So I'd like to see them get more up to date on that. But really just like, I don't feel like they really train teachers in the science and the data of things like reading and writing. I can't even remember what I learned there now, to be honest. <laughs> um, but it's definitely not stuff that I apply in the classroom every day. The thing that I apply in the classroom every day is my training from this place called Linamood Bell Learning Processes. And it's like reading and lit or, or math and literacy, basic math and literacy. And we work with all different types of students from students who have like really severe learning disabilities to students who are just like, you know, falling behind in class and, and, and miss something along the way so we we kind of fill in those gaps to get them back up on grade level and my training in how to teach kids how to read is the number one thing I fall back on in my 10th grade social studies class so just those the, the actual science of how people learn is not something that we teach in, in in school so I think that's definitely something we have to do but then on the school side I, I want to see more more choices for for parents and kids well Man, I'm over here taking notes right and now. And teachers, and teachers, right? Teachers need to have more choice and, and more voice too. Maybe those are a little broad and I need to work on some like more specific action steps, but. Well, I mean, yeah, theoretically we have this, this time where we should be in. And that's something that has just struck me. Um, Dr. Eric Thomas, he's on YouTube as ET the Hip Hop Preacher. Right when this thing started, Will sent me a video that said, and he was just shouting at people like he does. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I went to one of his live things. So yeah, so did we, it was awesome. But he was just saying like, if you don't come out of this better, if you don't come out with a better business or a better life or a better whatever, I mean, you can't, it's your own fault. And for me, like I can look at this time and we've been having, like I've felt as a teacher, I'll be upfront that I felt guilt a lot of times that I have been home while other teachers haven't. Like I was given that choice and I took it. I don't think I made the wrong choice. I, I had the option and I took it, but I felt guilt that I've been at home and doing my thing. And I've also felt guilt because I've had a great year. Like my life is really good. I've spent a ton of time with my now wife that I would have never, I would have never had that opportunity to do that. And so for me as, and I'm trying to think where, you know, this, this getting better, like my life got better. And I think it was because I actively chose to make it better. I actively chose. Well, do you think it had anything to do though, with like having all that time and being virtual and not being like getting your full paycheck and not really having a lot of those worries? Oh, 100%. And, and so that's what I'm worried about is I'm worried that teachers are making these decisions based on the fact that they kind of like do have it pretty sweet right now 
you know, like they're getting their paycheck. And I've seen a, a, a few of these posts on Instagram where teachers are like, oh, I know 2020 was so hard, but I'm so grateful to have like, you know, not have to be like going in and focused on school so much and be able to bring. And and that's great. And and, and I'm glad you were able to have a, a good time. But like on the other spectrum, there's so mm-hmm. many that's so converse to, I think, the average American experience. I mean, how many millions of people lost jobs? How many people took pay cuts? Right. I know a bunch of people who they were their office was either like, we're gonna we're gonna lay people off, or you can take a five, ten, you know, twenty percent pay cut. And most of the people said, like, we'll take the pay cut so everybody can stay on. And and teachers really haven't had to make many sacrifices. Um, so I am worried that that is an incentive to kind of push for virtual learning because it's a sweet deal. Well, I mean, and for me, and and I will say for sure it is. I mean, even just for me, like I save an hour and a half a day in my commute. That alone is is worth it. And and like I said, I hadn't. It is very comfortable. I have not really put on anything that would resemble professional attire in months. You look good to me. Thank you. I appreciate you. But, you know, and that's just the thing. For me, it has, it has been comfortable. And I've been very lucky in that regard. But, but thinking about, for me, the long-term, like, real, and I don't want to say real emphasis on SEL, like, in, in air quotes. But I love what you're saying with more choice to give kids more I think if kids had more choice, they could be socializing in groups of people who had like um, interests that, that were into the things that, that they were. Like I loved in college because when I started taking college classes and I started getting into these groups, you can find a group for anything that you're into. And I know these kids have it a little more because of their online communities, but think about if you could get into classes with a group of people and you kind of had a cohort in high school that you choose like yeah we're all kind of on this same path we like these same classes and we're going to do it together think about how and much we feel more- good about it yeah right that's and that's what i think like social emotional learning is good and i'm super um involved in creating a social emotional learning curriculum for my school i work with this we have a company called the open future institute and we've had a program for the last five years that we've been integrating and i love that curriculum but the thing that i love about it is it's not it's it's it gives kids agency it's not focused on it's you know it's not all like what i think so many people think that social emotional learning has to be so if we can just create structures that empower kids i think that is the absolute best thing that you can do for anybody's mental health it doesn't need to be all this like oh you know mental health and this and that like focused on talking about that no when you are doing something you love and care about you feel good about yourself you feel confident about yourself oh my goodness and and that's a word that wilkie and i have talked about a ton is is agency and and that would be one of the real drawbacks that i felt like like i said with virtual learning is that the kids aren't getting a lot of agency they're not getting a lot of chances I feel like to correct their own problems or to to solve things on their own so Will what do you think two years I want to let me let me let me let me say this let me let me say this Um, I I think that that sense of agency because it's not being modeled 
is why kids are not getting it. And so, um, yeah, but two years down the line, what do I think? Um, I think student engagement is different. I think um, now teachers are realizing what it takes to actually keep the attention of, of, of students. I think virtual, the virtual space has kind of taught them, taught us that we have to kind of, I was telling the teacher the other day, almost like a TikTok mindset, try to figure out ways to get information to kids in the smallest amount of time as possible in little spurts. Because if you try to go continuously, 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 they're not watching an eight minute video. You know, they want to see the little spurts. Uh, so I think in that way, engagement is different. I, I believe that teacher and students, as Steph said, the, the choice piece, that, that choice piece, I think that is going to become <clears throat> what is going to be weaponized to change education. That, that, that ability to listen to your most important participants in your community. I mean, get it, I know the need for school board. I know the need for legislatures. I know the lead need for administration, but there's also a need for the full community. Um, and I think that we have to listen to students. We have to listen to teachers. You know, we have to listen to parents. We have to bring everybody to the table to have these understandings of this is what education is going to be like moving forward. And we want your voice to be a part of it. We have so many parents who are disenfranchised from education because they had a horrible education experience. So their expectation for their kids is that it's going to be eh, kind of like mine. You know, we let it. You know, that's just how school is. No, it's not how school is. School has to change. Society's changed. You know, McDonald's used to used to make their burgers one at a time, and now they have machines that, that spin around and spit them out. And all you got to do is wrap them up. You know what I mean? So it's like you that everything has evolved. So education, I think that stu teacher, student, parent choice is gonna be a big, a big piece. I believe relationships are gonna come to the forefront. Relationships will be at the forefront of education. Um, I believe that skill-based trainings for students will begin earlier. Um, and I think that career development has to start happening, will be happening at the middle school level because you'll have some students who will gain interest in high school and completion simply because of something they discovered in middle school. Yeah, and I think that's something that I would like to see too. I know in New York City, our system is so, it's got this weird over-centralization, but like decentralization. So like all the power is in the central up here, but like, and, and none of the schools create like bridge programs. There's no cohesion or consistency. Um, from one to the other. So I would like to see like a, a decentralization from like the top at, at the DO at the DOE the central level and and then like a more cohesion between like okay I went to this middle school and so like that bridges me over into this high school program um, or like you know what maybe I wasn't so into it so I'm gonna like pivot and I'm gonna go over into this high school so I'm I'm with you on that one. I like how you yeah, describe and, that. Yeah, and I think that's great. And I, hold on, hold on. I can't take credit. More. I, I have to cite. I have to cite this. That actually came from my daughter. Uh, I was asking my daughter the other day, because um, my wife is looking at opening a school. Okay. And so um, I asked my daughter, I say, what is it that you think that would make school different? And she said, you should start exploring careers in middle school. She goes, yeah, you gotta have reading and math. You gotta have all this stuff. 
but that some of this other stuff we can get it in other ways. She said, but I think that we need to start exploring what it is that you love to do so that when you get to high school, it can be what you do and it helps motivate you. And, and I so I think structurally that means that we have to get off of a bell schedule. I think like like I'm thinking you know we're putting out a lot of these big ideas and I'm thinking about like okay on the ground level like what are those action steps that it looks like and it really does look like more of like some type of block schedule like you said you're teaching 90 minute classes that sounds like heaven to me in summer we taught um, we teach two hour classes and I love it because you actually have time and space to like do real authentic things and you're not like mm -hmm. okay the, the bell's about to end do your activity and blah, 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 you know bye um, so just but yeah, but I, I'm with that too, because I, Kyle know that I've, I've said it all the time. The reason that we still have the bells in school is because we were training people to when they went into the factories and, and they went to the job sites, the job bell would ring for them to walk in a building. It would ring for them to go to lunch. It would ring for them to come back and it would ring for them to go home. Right, but now it's protected by kind of the establishment education because like, well, I'm a social studies teacher and that's what I'm trained in, you know? And I think that's important. I do think that you need to kind of like have specific training, but I also find it limiting because last spring, for example, when we knew there wasn't gonna be regents, I'm like, guys, like we can do whatever we want to do, like, let's do it. And then of course the teacher's like, well, I'm a, I'm a math teacher. Like I'm, I'm trained in this. And I don't think you could teach what I want the kids to learn as good as me. And, you know, and I can't teach them what you know. And I'm like, uh, well, then I'll do what I want. You can, you can keep giving them boring Delta math. You know, my, what my, my daughter said this, she said, if I want to be an engineer or an architect, then I should take heavy math classes. She said, I want to go into politics, then I should be taking a lot of social studies classes, a lot of English classes. And so like, she started breaking down these different things. She goes, if I want to go into customer service, then I have to know how to deal with people. And like, so if you're saying, this is what fits me. And I mean, think about start getting kids career inventories and not just what do you want to be when you grow up? Not that foolishness, because do you ever really grow up? You know, I, I, I told my kids today, I said, I don't ever want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. I know they closed them all, but I'm a Toys R Us kid, you know? <laughs> and so I think that when you put things out there for people to kind of just gravitate to and say, what do you love doing? And let me expose you to those things that you love in order to see, is there an interest there long enough to, to, to drive you for, forward in something else? Not this, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's like finite as if you're gonna to get to a point and then that's gonna be it. I mean, I got an uncle who, who's 80 something years old who started his business when he was 60 something years old, you know, and been in business for 20 plus years, you know, and that was, that wasn't, you know what I'm saying? That was, this is what, it, what he loved to do, but he had to go do other stuff first. But what if you just started doing what you loved? My sister, perfect example, she wanted to be a beautician. She knew that's all she wanted to do is to help beautify women and to do that. She started taking the courses in fresh as a freshman. Now she is going back into the classroom and she's in the classroom teaching while she's still maintaining her practice and training up the next, you know, next beautician and still serving her clients. When you find what you love to do, then that is what you do. You just go do it. And the longer you get to engage with it, the better it becomes for you. You know what I love to do? I love to teach in person. <laughs> Listen, guys, I really appreciate you yes. hanging out and talking with me. I think, I hope that this 
and and especially like we got kind of the two perspectives here right we had texas in person you know been teaching and and then we had the minnesota hasn't been in person and and i just like again kyle i really appreciate how transparent and open you were with the thought process i think that could be super valuable for so many teachers who are going through that and and I would, I don't want to ever like shame anybody for that. I want to say like, like, I'm glad that the data has been able and this conversation has been able to open perspectives and hopefully we can all get back in the classroom to what we love to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And we will, as soon as we're done here, I'll upload it to our Google drive and I'll share it with you and, and whatever you want to do. But like I said, I, I think, I, I am, there's a lot of people like me who, if they were presented something other than what they thought, they would be open to it. And I will say too, kind of to wrap up that having seen Wilkie be in the classroom for so long and nothing bad happened, it's easier for me to be like, you know what? Maybe it's not as bad. Is there still a chance that I could get sick? And yeah, but now I know there's data that I probably won't be that sick. You know, so. Well, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, awesome. It was great to see you. Great to talk with you. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Have a good long weekend, right? Long weekend action. You too. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So we we want want to say thank you again. And I I was listening to everything that you were saying about where schools need to be in two years. And I think that there has to be this development uh, of a collective voice. And I just want to thank you for being kind of the tip of the spear and letting the voice be out there for teachers to 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 synergize across this country to be able to really move the needle the way we know it could be moved. So I salute you for your work, and, and know that you 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 have some you have some allies here who who are willing to to work and use their voice to um, to to further the cause, not just on opening schools but on, on shifting education, like opening schools, that, that's one objective. The next objective is now let's use this energy. Let's, let's move this needle on education as a whole, not just student performance, teacher performance, you know, <clears throat> teacher capacity, you know, administrator capacity, school board leaders capacity, like all of these people need to be put on the same matrix in order for education to move. And um, again, like I can say, it's always great talking with you. And this has been amazing. And right back at you. All right. Be well. Talk soon. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. So you'll you'll just, like, share me a link or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I'll put the video in my Google Drive and and share it with you that way. And then you can can take the video and, and use it however you please. Yeah, I'll probably like throw the full thing up on the YouTube channel and then like yes. I'm going through this weekend and chopping everything up oh, into clips. I need to have some coffee or tea. Yeah. But yeah, tea. I thought this was a like a super awesome conversation. And like Kyle, I I I'm so grateful for the things that you said. Just like, you know, I think it takes a lot to be able to say stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Open up. So yeah, got to. But that's what we need more of. Transparency. Yeah. Exactly. And just like people being like, you know what, I was wrong or like not or not even being like I was wrong. Like I was scared before, but I see the data. Let's let's give it a try. You know, you can save some face. That's <laughs> fine. And, and and we can go into a bigger conversation about how do we let people save face? 
How do we, that, how do we have those? How, Cause Wilkie talks about this all the time, like own your wrong and move on. But if we feel like we live in a world where. And that's what I'm scared with the, the situation like more broadly right now is it's so retribution based. Like, oh, you were a Trump supporter, then don't talk to me. I will never be your friend again. Like I would never do that to one of my friends. I don't care if you were a, a Nazi loving whatever, like I'm gonna pull you out and I'm gonna be like, bro, like let's get you let's get you some help you know like let's let's figure this out i would never like oh make it make it a space where you can't and will talks about this too like what are we teaching our kids if we can't say hey you know what i thought this way i learned something different and now i'm changing my opinion and it doesn't mean like you said it doesn't mean that i'm totally flipping to the other side because i think the the right thing is somewhere in the middle there isn't, mm-hmm. and we live in this binary world of open schools versus closed schools. And there's. All right. Well, I'm hoping the tides are changing. I'm a little yeah. nervous for when Biden takes office, what that's going to look like, because I don't know. It seems like they want to stoke fear. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. So, all right, guys, I appreciate you. I'll look after right. that. And uh, you know where to find me. Yeah, absolutely. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. What's good, fam? Thanks for checking out this episode of Value Adds Value, a special episode, uh, an interview with our friend Steph Edmonds. Um, If you made it this far, you listened to the whole thing, you want to learn more, we really encourage you to check out Teachers for Open Schools, uh, Teachers the number four open schools. And we really hope that we can just if you're in a place where the conversation is difficult and there's a lot of big emotions and things like that, let's just all try to work on having the conversations, making sure everybody's heard and and ultimately doing what's best for our kids without feeling like we have to sacrifice our health and safety as teachers. So we love you. Thanks for checking out this episode and we will have the second part of our conversation with Gary Gray uh, coming out on Friday. So much love, be well, Talk soon.